This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, could the Wizards uh, lock down a playoff spot last night? We'll look at the 2021 NFL schedule, which was released last night. What is facing the Steelers, Ravens, and the Washington Fighting Riveras? We'll play the most pointless game ever played. It's the win-loss game where we tried to predict the win-loss records of the Steelers, Ravens, and Washington based on a schedule released in May. And uh, could there be a 35-second shot clock coming soon to a high school near you? All that and more coming up on uh, today's Rush. So here we go. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. We got two Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. Got a Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All three of those pages. Free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. At any time, feel free to reach out. Say, hey, got a question, a comment, an opinion? Leave us a message. We'll talk about it on the air if it's, uh, you know, suitable. Also, taking your calls on the rush line. 301-759-2628, your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app, or as my wife always calls it, the Peapod app, which is not correct. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. So you can go back and listen to whatever you missed. Uh, whenever you want. So several ways to get involved on the show. If you tell me that you can't get involved, then you're not trying hard enough. I don't know what more we can do. I just don't. Other than bring you up here in studio and put you behind a microphone, which we will not do. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. And we start with high school softball, where Samara Funk hit a bases-loaded single in the bottom of the seventh inning that scored three runs. Two runs scored on the single itself. The third run scored on a throwing error to give Allegheny a 3-2 win over Kaiser. That game played in Lavelle. Elsewhere, Allie Myers fired a one-hitter as Fort Hill blanked Mountain Ridge 2-0, Myers struck out 10 and walked just one. In high school baseball, Eli Wallace scattered seven hits over seven scoreless innings as Allegheny notched its first win of the season 4-0 at Kaiser. Wallace struck out 11, Grant Kane homered for the Campers. Sam Bradfield had three of the seven hits for Kaiser. 
In Major League Baseball, both the Pirates and Nationals went to extra innings yesterday uh, and both lost. We will start in Pittsburgh. They're daring Suarez to go opposite way. And he shoots it to center field. That's going to get down and all the way to the fence. Winker scores. Castellanos scores. Mike Moustakis giving the wave. A bases clearing double. Eugenio Suarez delivers. And the Reds pouring it on in extras. A 5-1 lead. The call on Fox Sports Ohio. That three-run double by Suarez who always seems to kill the Pirates. It was part of a four-run 10th inning as the Reds beat the Bucs 5-1 to take two of three in the series. And then in Washington. Swung on, ripped towards right center field. That's a base hit. And Maton is in to score, and Andrew Knapp has extended the lead. His second RBI of the night. It's now 5-2 Phillies. The call on WIP, that RBI single by Knapp, was part of a three-run 10th inning as the Phillies beat the Nationals 5-2. The Nats had a lead. Going into the ninth, 2-1, to one, but Oduble Herrera homered off of Washington closer Brad Hand uh, to force the extra innings. And in New York, the Mets didn't need extra innings to beat the Orioles 7-1 to sweep that mini two-game series. Uh, Mets have now won seven straight, longest active win streak in the bigs. O's have lost six of their last eight. And in the NBA... The Wizards and Hawks met in Atlanta, both looking to lock down a playoff spot uh, in the in the. <laughs> Let me try that again. In the Eastern Conference, two point Wizards lead. Here's Westbrook gliding in, shot blocked by Capella. Down floor come the Hawks. Trey Young hesitating, pass to Collins. He's open for three, and he buries it for the lead. Hawks take the lead on a John Collins three with 24.4 to play. The call on ESPN Radio. Wizards blew a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter. Loss of the Hawks, 120-116. Russell Westbrook, 34 points, 15 assists for Washington. Trey Young had 33 points for the Hawks, who did clinch a playoff spot for the first time in three years. And that is your Rock Around the Region, brought to you by the Caporale Group. I hate when I do that. I can't stand when I trip over my own tongue. It just it, it annoys me. And it happens a lot. I've said it before. Nobody in this business has ever had a perfect show. There's always at least one time. When you sit there and you talk for two hours, it's bound to happen. I just happened to get it out of the way in the first nine minutes of the show. But like we're we're you know we're rolling through that segment right there. We're we're hitting the scores. We're hitting the audio. We're do- I felt good. I felt a flow going. Sometimes you get into a rhythm, and then I just screwed it up because I simply couldn't say Eastern Conference. Anyway, so a lot to get to today. Most of it will revolve around the NFL and the release of the schedule last night. But we'll start with the NBA and the game we just talked about. A game with major playoff implications. The Hawks did indeed rally past the Wizards to win by four, uh, 120-116. And as I mentioned, it was indeed the Trey Young and Russell Westbrook show Young, 33 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists. Very, very close 
to a triple-double. Westbrook, the triple-double king, not quite this time, but close as well. 34 points, 5 boards, 15 assists. The game was on both ESPN TV and radio last night. On the TV side, as soon as I find the clip here, there it is. Mike Breen and Mark Jackson caught up uh, with Mr. Trey Young. All right, Trey, down 13 in that fourth quarter. What was the key to the turnaround and the comeback win? Uh, just not to give up. Uh, we, we, had, we were fighting all games. Shots weren't going our way. Uh, Russ was playing crazy out of his mind. And, I mean, we just, we just needed to keep fighting and keep believing, and uh, that's what we did. Trey, Mark Jackson, talk to me about how the game has slowed down for you from a point guard's mentality. you become a guy that's looking not only to score, but the plays you've made down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you know as playing PG in this league, the more experience you get, the slower it becomes for you. And uh, for me, it's it's slowing down. I mean, obviously we got a lot of weapons, and for me it's it's like a kid at a candy store. I get to I get to play with all these guys that have all these different talents, and for me, uh, it only opens up things for me. So I'm just having fun, and it's uh, as the experience goes on, I'm, it's slowing down for sure. Trey, what has been the number one reason for the turnaround and, and the impact that Nate McMillan has had on this team? Uh, I think for us, it's it's been just I mean our belief in each other. Uh, we started out the season pretty slow, and uh, we knew what the expectations were for ourselves. And um, coming into the season, we wanted to to, uh, to to do big things, get into the playoffs, and we hadn't been back there in a while. So uh, this is this feels good and. Uh, we, just, we just have a lot of belief in each other. Congratulations. Look forward to seeing you in the playoffs, Trey. Appreciate it. See y'all there. The Hawks and uh, Mr. Young right now sitting in the uh, the four spot in the Eastern Conference. A half game ahead of the Heat and the Knicks. The Knicks clinched the playoff spot. They didn't even play last night. But a couple teams lost, so the Knicks are in the playoffs for the first time, it seems like, in forever. Now, last night's game, was the second in three nights between the Wizards and Hawks, both won by Atlanta. Hawks won the first game on Tuesday by a single point, uh, 125-124. And then last night they come back in that fourth quarter to clinch their first playoff berth since 2017. Mark Kessler and John Barry had the call on the radio side. Well, the Atlanta Hawks, JB, were trailing the Washington Wizards by 13 points. Came back in the game, got the win, finished the season sweep, and more importantly, they have clinched a spot in the postseason. Well, a, a different group since Nate McMillan's taken over, and uh, we talked about it uh, throughout the broadcast that uh, they had troubles in the fourth quarters uh, when they were 14 and 20. Let go of Lloyd Pierce, their head coach. Uh, they've been a different ball club, and a lot of that is Trey Young. Uh, better decision making, uh, handling the basketball. Better decision making in his shot selection. Uh, and tonight he goes for 33, uh, nine assists, and eight boards. He was uh, as close to a triple-double as Russell Westbrook. But uh, John Collins makes a big three. This is, a, this is a dangerous group. I know a lot of people don't know a lot about Atlanta, but 25-11 and 11 since Nate McMillan took over. And uh, I believe they're going to be a four-seed if they can handle Orlando in Atlanta and Houston also at home, which they should be able to do. 
and uh, we'll see what kind of noise they can make in a couple of weeks in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the uh, Washington Wizards uh, still sitting at a magic number of one for that 10th and final seed to get into the play-in tournament. Russell Westbrook had his sixth straight game of 15 assists. He did lead all scorers with 34 points. They didn't have Bradley Beal, uh, but again, it's a team that continues to work hard competitors, what Scott Brooks was telling us earlier today. Well, uh, 100%. I mean, this team uh, does not give up. They were down huge Monday night to Atlanta and had a chance to win that ball game. Tonight they pressed it and got up 13, as you said, and weren't able to hold on, but uh, they play hard. And when they get Bradley Beal, they're a dangerous group. And if they stay at 10, which we do believe they're going to get a win in their next two, either against Cleveland or against Charlotte, uh, they play. They'll probably play Indiana, and uh, they beat Indiana three times this year and didn't lose to them. So maybe Beal gets healthy, and maybe lightning in a bottle strikes for the Wiz, and they make a run after the play-in. The Atlanta Hawks, uh, their first 15 home games, they were six and nine. They've won 17 of 19 since, including nine straight at home. They rally, beat the Washington Wizards by a final score of 120 to 116. Now, as uh, you heard the guys mention, uh, the loss means Washington will have to wait at least one more game to clinch a spot in that play-in tournament. Two games left, both at home, against sorry Cleveland tomorrow night, and then the big one against Charlotte on Sunday. Now, the Wizards are a game and a half behind Charlotte and Indiana for the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference. The Hornets' last three games... Not easy. Home against the Clippers, playoff team. At the Knicks, playoff team. And then at the Wizards. The Pacers' final three games, not real easy either. They will host the Bucks, and then the Lakers before finishing up at Toronto. Milwaukee still has an outside chance at the number one or two seed in the East Lakers still trying to stay out of that play-in tournament out west. So those two teams, they'll be playing for something when they play Indiana. Toronto, not so much. But still, the Pacers could easily get tripped up against either the Bucks or the Lakers. So the Wizards, they do have the easiest schedule down the stretch. And because of that last game against Charlotte, could possibly be the eight-seed in that play-in tournament when all is said and done, which, again, is really important because playing in that 7-8 game, whether you win or lose, guarantees you at least one more game. Right? If you win that 7-8 game, you're automatically locked in to a first-round series. If you lose the 7-8 game, you still have a chance. Because then you'll take on the winner of the 9-10 game. Loser of the 9-10 game, sorry about your luck. Your season's over. It's a one-off. Okay? So if you're either the 9 or the 10, you have to win two games to get into one of those final two spots. So it would behoove the Wizards to somehow, someway, get into that 8 spot. I think the 7 spot's out of reach. I'm fairly certain. Although the Celtics still haven't locked it up, because the Celtics have been terrible lately. They they lost four in a row. The Celtics have been awful. So who knows about them? But there's a chance the Wizards, if they win their last two, and they hope the Pacers stumble somewhere along the way, they could be an eight seed. Now, they pushed 
the Hawks to the limit twice. Both times at Atlanta, both times without Bradley Beal and his 31 points a game. Those 31 points a game would have helped because they lost those two games against the Hawks by a combined five points. That's how good or well, I don't know what's correct. That's how well they're playing. It doesn't matter. That's how well they're playing right now without Bradley Beal to push the Hawks to the brink both games at Atlanta. If Beal's playing, I don't think it's a stretch to say they beat the Hawks both times in Atlanta. Bill, of course, he's still nursing that hamstring injury. If, when the Wizards clinch that playoff spot and they get Bill back healthy, Tim Legler says, what I've been saying for weeks now, be afraid of Washington. They should be terrifying for any team in Eastern Conference. I think as long as they avoid Brooklyn, uh, this is a team I think that can do some serious damage. I I think they're going to get in as an eight. That'd be ideal if they can grab the eight spot, avoid Brooklyn, because I think a team like Philadelphia right now would have a very difficult time. They've been very disjointed down the stretch uh, with guys in and out of the lineup. And you get a team like Washington with right now what's been the best backcourt in the NBA this season, uh, which Westbrook and Beal have been, playing the way that they are with this kind of confidence. That is just not a proposition you want if you're Doc Rivers and Philadelphia. The reason I say avoid Brooklyn is because I just think seeing Kevin Durant in front of him may make Russell Westbrook try too hard, believe it or not. And he can get himself into trouble because in that situation, he's not seeing anymore. He's just reacting. So Brooklyn is the one team I think they have to avoid. I'm not saying they would beat Philly, but I absolutely think they could take that team to distance seven games. Right now, Philly is in that top spot in the East. Uh, They're a game and a half ahead of Brooklyn and three games ahead of Milwaukee. So if the Wizards do sneak in to get that eight seed, if things hold true, they will have the Sixers uh, in the first round, which I think would be a phenomenal series. I may actually have to, you know, actually watch an NBA game. I Admittedly, I'm, I'm not an NBA guy. You know that. If you listen to the show enough, you know I'm just not. I tuned in to the Wizards and Hawks last night for like 30 seconds. And the reason why it was 30 seconds is because it was right at the end of the first half. <laughs> I flipped it over, and, and just the game was t- I think it was 56 all. And the Wizards had the ball, and Westbrook pulls up and drains a three with like a second left in the first half. And the Wizards took a three-point lead at the halftime. And then I turned it back off. So, And believe it or not, that's the most I've watched the NBA all season. <laughs> that, that 30 seconds right there. It was a good 30 seconds. I may actually be uh, inclined to watch some playoff hoops this year. All right, time for a break. When we come back, switching gears to the NFL. The schedule released last night. Week one, big, big week coming up in just a few months. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Trying to get all my ducks in a row as we uh, roll through the show here. See, a lot of times, uh, I just don't have the time in the morning to gather all the information I need for the two hours of the show. So, 
at the very least, what I try to do, give you a little insight. I'll let you look behind the curtain here a bit. The very least in the morning, I try to get like the first, definitely the first, you know, segment out of the way. Like last segment, we talked about the Wizards and the Hawks and the Wizards trying to get to the playoffs. And, okay, we, we talked about that. But I used to, I got to have that one at least done. Ultimately, I like to have at least the first two or three to, to get me through the first hour, okay? At least some semblance of an order of, you know, what I'm going to do, which leads to second hour. So most of the time while we go to break here, and especially that first break of the hour, which has the news, which is like three, four minutes long, while we go to break, while you're listening to the news and all those wonderful commercials, I'm sitting here trying to get stuff together for the next hour. Like I'm not sitting back here, you know, hey, we're going to take a five-minute break, and I'm just going to kick back and relax and put my feet up and, oh, you know, just take it easy. No. So I'm trying to get prepped for uh, the rest of the show as the show goes on. So I'm just reading this story about uh, the shot clock, but possible shot clock. In West Virginia, which we'll talk about next hour. So there you go. I, for one, just a little tease here, just a little, you know, uh, I, I for one, am on the fence about a shot clock. I think it has its, uh, it's like anything else, it has its pros and its cons. But we'll get into that next hour. Right now, uh, NFL, okay. And the NFL being the absolute, absolute is the, the real word, absolute, uh, juggernaut that it is, has somehow made the release of a schedule a major event, which we talked about this yesterday. Like, I didn't spend a single second watching the NFL schedule release last night. Not a second. If you did, great. That's on you. That's your life. You do what you want to do. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying. I'm not doing it. Because it was televised last night. And a ton of people tuned in to see, you know, who, where, and when their favorite teams would be playing in this upcoming season. And I even said, yeah, I don't know the numbers. Numbers won't come out here for a while. That I would bet that the NFL schedule release drew more television viewers than any NBA game or Major League Baseball game last night. I would take my chances with that bet. That's how big this is. I mean, it's it's truly a phenomenon. Like, how the NFL has managed to convince people, has managed to somehow get them to care about a schedule release. It's a schedule. And we've we've known the teams, whether you're a Steelers fan or a Ravens fan or Washington or whatever, we've known the teams that our teams were playing for a while now. We just didn't know, you know, the order in which they were playing them. You know, who was going to be a primetime game, who was going to be a Sunday afternoon game. That's what last night was all about. But it's a schedule. (laughs) And yet, 
It's big. It's it's big time. That that is the influence of the NFL. Look, I'm convinced they could show like a two hour movie of Roger Goodell painting his house, and somehow a million people would tune in to watch it. Like that's just if you just put NFL in front of it, people are going to watch it. It it doesn't even have to have anything to do with the NFL. It, It could be I don't know something else. Like the NFL presents the the World uh, Marble Championships, and people will watch it. The NFL is so big, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. Which is why <laughs> they do stuff like last night. And look, here, and here's the thing. If there wasn't an audience for it, they wouldn't do it. Obviously, there is an audience. Obviously, people want to tune in. For the release of the upcoming schedule. That's why they do it. Because there's demand for it. And so, with that being said, uh, since everybody was talking about it last night, and they'll be talking about it today, I figure we might as well do the same thing. And we'll have some input from some of the national guys. And then later on in the show, we'll break down the schedules for Washington, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. Season kicks off Thursday, September 9th. Which, what is that, three and a half months from now? Do I have that right, give or take? It'll kick off in Tampa, Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, and Tom Brady hosting the Cowboys. First time ever the Buccaneers will take part in the uh, the kickoff game. If all things go well, the game will mark the return for the Cowboys of their franchise quarterback. Here's Dan Graziano. Yeah, biggest thing is the return of Dak Prescott. I mean, we all saw him carted off the field that terrible injury uh, last season, and you know all the all the reports on his recovery have been positive. The Cowboys expect him to be ready week one, uh, but we'll follow the storyline throughout the summer and see how he looks once training camp starts. If he plays in any preseason games, obviously Prescott will be a big story for the Cowboys and league wide until we see him back on the field performing the way that we were used to seeing him. And on the uh, Buccaneers side, we're interested to see if the, uh, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense looks any different than it did last year. You know, they were putting the whole thing together as they went along. Antonio Brown showed up there uh, later in the season. Now he's going to be there all offseason and right from the beginning. He and Tom Brady have a pretty special connection, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense this year featured a little more of Antonio Brown in a prominent role than what we saw last year. And, you know, something we talked about in the previous show, the Buccaneers, and this is really an incredible feat given the salary cap era and free agency and whatnot, they're bringing back all 22 starters from the Super Bowl last year. That's amazing. Not a single starter from that Super Bowl team left. They're all back. Which means, again, they're one of the favorites to win the whole thing. Uh, other notable games from week one. The Packers, who may be dealing with life without Aaron Rodgers. We don't know yet. They're at the Saints, who will be dealing with life without Drew Brees. Seahawks at the Colts. That should be a decent matchup. And Tim Hasselbeck is absolutely giddy about the week one matchup in Kansas City between the Chiefs and the Browns. Well, I'm looking at the Browns Chiefs right away. I mean, like, it's always fun 
to watch Patrick Mahomes play. So anytime the Chiefs are on the schedule, sure. But I think it's an interesting one. Think back to the Super Bowl, how they struggled to protect Mahomes. It's a retooled offensive line, and it's facing a tremendous front that the Cleveland Browns have. But then flip it over and look at Cleveland's offense. Baker Mayfield kind of became an ascending player again under Kevin Stefanski, even with the weird offseason a year ago. So will he take a bigger step in year two of that offense? And then think about this, Kevin. Oh, yeah, Odell Beckham Jr., remember him? He was, really wasn't a part of that offense a year ago because of the injury. What is his role in that offense? Is he featured? Is he just kind of fit in somehow? Are they, are they forcing the ball to him? So I think there are so many factors in that football game that I'm looking forward to seeing. Of course, the Browns and the Chiefs, that's a, a playoff rematch from a year ago. Another week one game. That lets you know the NFL loves itself some some drama. The NFL, as the venerable one says, NFL the TV show. NFL loves itself a good storyline. The Panthers and new quarterback Sam Darnold will host Darnold's old team, the New York Jets. Rich Samini covers the Jets for ESPN. It's perfect. You got to love it. The NFL loves the, that sort of drama. It reminds me in 2013, the Jets opened up against the Buccaneers right after they had traded Darrell Revis to Tampa Bay. So that, that kind of set up like that. But this is even better because you have a couple of quarterbacks involved. And uh, yeah, I mean, revenge for Sam, pressure on Zach, and also pressure on Joe Douglas, you know, because his entire legacy as DM will be defined by this quarterback decision. And not that one game is going to decide the outcome of it, but uh, you know, if, if Sam lights him up and the Jets get blown out, it's certainly not going to feel good for Joe Douglas. Now, Darnold, to be fair, I mean, he was never really surrounded by a whole lot of talent in his three seasons with the Jets. And he had to deal with Adam Gase as a head coach, which that shouldn't be put on anybody. But instead of giving Darnold a chance, you know, with new head coach Robert Sala coming in, a new offensive system, they got rid of him. They shipped him off to Carolina for a bunch of draft picks. Marcus Spears, <laughs> you can count him as one who hopes Darnold goes off against his old team. I want Sam Darnold <laughs> to hang 350 on the New York Jets for four touchdowns. They booted the man out of them, told him he wasn't good enough, and they knew the situation that he was in. Now he's in a better situation in Carolina with Joe Brady, a team that's built around him. Matt Rule has expressed that confidence by extending his fifth-year option. They traded for him to go get him. Sam Darnold, I hope. Because I would want my quarterback to have this makeup. I hope it's personal. I hope he has a vendetta against the New York Jets. I hope his mindset going into that game is to show them if you would have surrounded me with the right situation, I could have been this type of player. I agree with him. The rest of the season is vitally important. But I don't want no damn level-headed quarterback right now. I want a petty quarterback. I want a quarterback that's looking at the team that told him he wasn't good enough and he get him the first week in the season after he was traded and an opportunity to put his foot in they blank blank. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If I never would have guessed, ever, that the Jets – at the Panthers would be much, you know, must watch TV in week one of the NFL season.
But because of that quarterback storyline, it is. Can't wait for it. And I do hope Darnold lights him up. I really do. All right, when we come back, more week one games with uh, our regional teams. Steelers, Ravens, and the Fighting Riveras. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We left off uh, looking at some of the marquee matchups in week one this season. As far as our regional teams go, the Steelers are opening up at the Bills. So, tough game out of the gate for Pittsburgh. That's a uh, Sunday game, 1 o'clock. Washington, the Fighting Riveras. Now, they're hosting the Chargers also at 1 o'clock. And then the Ravens. They open up on a Monday night, week one, against the Raiders in Vegas. The Raiders will finally have fans in their brand-new stadium. Uh, Steve Levy calls the Monday night games for ESPN, and he can't wait for that Monday night opener. There's something about the logo, quite frankly, right? There's something about the colors, the mystique of the organization, and now there's something about the building, right? And being in Las Vegas and uh, Allegiant Stadium and now finally going to have fans in the stadium for the first time. And I don't know if you saw the story the other day. They're going to have bottle service and DJs in their end zone clubs. I mean, it's, you know, it's a different feel. So I, I think that's all of that sort of elevates the Raiders, and they get that status, and it's, and it's week one, so who knows, right? But I think, you know, it's a tough spot for them. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens are always going to be in it as long as they have Lamar Jackson. And I think that's a, that's a really attractive matchup. I mean, Jackson, for me, is, is as much must-see NFL TV as, you know, as Patrick Mahomes, as Kyler Murray. Uh, those are like three guys, and maybe they're four or five. You, you need to see live every offensive snap they take. And so that's, that's why I think that's a, that's a really good matchup. And listen, we love John Gruden here. He's our old pal, our old colleague. But he knows, Mike Mayock knows too, uh, I think they're up against it. You know, the clock is ticking. Uh, that organization, whether it was Oakland or Las Vegas, they need to see some results, and they need to see some results sooner. That means probably this season. And, Steve, obviously you look forward to calling every Monday night football game, but was there one that kind of jumped off the page when you looked at the slate of this year's Monday night games? When your eyes go to a certain spot on the schedule, you want to look late in the season, so it looked, hey, that's going to be a critical showdown matchup and all that, and then get two great teams, and a lot of times it doesn't work out that way. Last year, I think it was our season finale. We had Buffalo at New England. Now, when you before last season started, you're thinking that's got to be for the AFC East. And and in the end, of course, the Patriots are just trying to avoid having you know their first losing season in 20 years, and the Bills just pounded them. So I'm really careful when I look at that. I think we've got some really good NFC West games, which my eyes definitely gravitated towards. I think Rams 49ers, I think Rams Cardinals really attractive in the sort of third quarter of the season. And again, like like that Buffalo New England last year, week 17, we have Cleveland Pittsburgh, right? And so that has all the makings. So there's no week 1 doubleheader, so we've sort of traded that in. We're going to get a week 18 doubleheader flex game and we're guaranteed. I mean, the league is guaranteed that both of those games on that Saturday of the last weekend of the NFL regular season will have playoff implications. So I don't know who's going to be playing in those games, but that's the game I'm most excited about for sure. And you heard Steve say it right there. Unlike the last several years, no Monday night doubleheader to end week one. Ravens, Raiders, the only game that Monday. Now, if you care about such things, 
opening lines for the opening week, according to a Caesar Sportsbook by William Hill. The Bills are a six-point favorite over the Steelers. The Chargers and Washington are even up. And the Ravens are five-and-a-half-point favorites over Vegas. Again, this is May 13th, so you take that for what it's worth. Looking past week one, a game that really jumps off the page happens in week four. Tom Brady and the Bucks pay a visit to Bill Belichick and the Patriots. It's a primetime game. Touchdown, Tommy's return to Foxborough. Fans in the stands. ESPN's uh, Lewis Riddick expects it to be a good game because he expects the Patriots to be uh, much better than last season. I really do feel that although New England has added a lot of pieces, obviously starting with free agency and how Bill really did strategically go ahead and supplement this roster, I think that this team is going to gel very quickly because I think these were very targeted acquisitions in the veteran free agent market. I think guys like Matthew Judon and Davin Godshaw, they're going to be the kind of guys that really do set the tone defensively. They're going to return people like Dante Hightower on the defensive side of the ball as well. So I don't think you're going to see a team just go ahead and move the football up and down the field on this team like we saw happen to the Patriots late in the season last year. And then on the offensive side, they're going to return to really what they believe wins a heavy run play action type of offensive scheme. And they got Trent Brown back. You know, they got him from the Vegas Raiders. He had his best season of his career when he was with Bill a few years ago. They have a bunch of just big downhill physical runners at running back. Ramon J. Stevens, who they just got in the fourth round from Oklahoma. The key really is that quarterback. And we saw what happened last year when they didn't get good quarterback play. I think Cam will be better. Will Mac Jones take over sooner rather than later? I think this team's just going to be good. And this is going to be a good old-fashioned black and blue type of football game. I don't care who is quarterbacking for the Patriots. It could be Cam Newton. It could be Mac Jones. They could bring back Steve Grogan. Tom Brady is going to light him up. Brady is going to just absolutely destroy the Patriots and Belichick, just to prove a point. Uh, looking further down the road, what about your holiday of viewing pleasure? Again, three more games on Thanksgiving. Bears at the Lions, I love it, it's tradition. Raiders at the Cowboys, and then the primetime game, Bills at the Saints. And there are two games on Christmas Day. At 4.30, Browns at the Packers, and then primetime, Colts at the Cardinals. Are you kidding me? I mean, you get up early with the kids, you open your gifts, you head over to Grandma's house for a little Christmas nosh, and then be back home for some NFL action on Christmas Day. Now, look, I thought Christmas Day was NBA territory. I don't think the NFL cares anymore. NFL season opening, they jump right in. Three games on Thanksgiving, two games on Christmas Day. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. Come on. So there you go, a a brief, a primer, a look at the NFL schedule. When we come back in the next hour, we'll break down the Steelers, Ravens, Washington, play the little win-loss game, why not? Stick around for that. The rush rolls on, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Reminder, several ways to get involved on the show. Two Twitter pages, at ESPN Morning Rush. 
Daggone it, this keyboard, I'm telling you what. There we go. Can you hear that? It's just in the way all the time. Anyway, where was I? Well, Twitter pages. At ESPN Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, and anytime you feel froggy, take the leap and uh, drop me a line. You want to just say, hey, you got a question, comment, an opinion on anything we talk about, all those pages are there uh, just for you. I, I don't need them. I don't use them. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. If you miss any part of any show, it's all there. Just download that Podbean app to your phone or tablet, and there you have it. For instance, if you missed the first hour of the show, we talked about the Wizards and the Hawks. Great game last night. Hawks got the win. Wizards still uh, trying to clinch a playoff spot. And we talked NFL. Schedule release last night. Looked at some of the good week one matchups. Packers at Saints. Seahawks, Colts. Browns at the Chiefs. And believe it or not, the Jets and the Panthers. The Sam Darnold Bowl. And we also looked at the uh, the week one opponents uh, for the Steelers, Ravens, and Washington. We'll get deeper into those schedules uh, here in just a bit. But first, uh, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with high school softball, where Samara Funk hit a bases-loaded single in the bottom of the seventh that scored three runs to give Allegheny a 3-2 win over Kaiser. That game played in the Vale. Now, the single drove in two runs to tie the game. The third run scored on a throwing error. So it's not like it was a three-run single. That would be impressive. But still, three runs scored. Allegheny gets the win. Elsewhere, Allie Myers fired a one-hitter as Fort Hill blanked Mountain Ridge 2-0. Myers struck out 10 and walked just one. In high school baseball, Eli Wallace scattered seven hits over seven scoreless innings as Allegheny notched its first win of the season 4-0 at Kaiser. Wallace struck out 11. Grant Kane homered for Allegheny. Sam Bradfield had three of the seven hits for the Golden Tornado. In Major League Baseball, both the Pirates and Nationals went to extra innings last night, and uh, they both lost. We'll start in Pittsburgh. They're daring Suarez to go opposite way. And he shoots it to center field. That's going to get down and all the way to the fence. Winker scores. Castellanos scores. Mike Moustakis giving the wave. A bases clearing double. Hey, Eugenio Suarez delivers. And the Reds pouring it on in extras. A 5-1 lead. The call on Fox Sports Ohio. That three-run double by Suarez. Part of a four-run 10th inning. As the Reds beat the Bucks 5-1 to take two of three in the series. And then in Washington. Swung on, ripped towards right center field. That's a base hit. And Maton is in to score. And Andrew Knapp has extended the lead. His second RBI of the night. It's now 5-2 to two Phillies. The call on WIP, that RBI single by Knapp, was part of a three-run tenth as the Phillies beat the Nats 5-2. 
Nationals actually led that game 2-1 going into the ninth inning. But Odubel Herrera, excuse me, let me try that again. Let me back up here a little bit. Odubel Herrera, here we go, hit a solo shot off of Nationals closer Brad Hand to force extras. And in New York, the Mets didn't need extras to beat the Orioles 7-1 to sweep that many two-game series. Uh, Mets have now won seven straight, longest active streak in the majors. O's have lost six of their last eight. And in the NBA, the Wizards and Hawks met in Atlanta, both looking to lock down playoff spots uh, in the East. Two-point Wizards lead. Here's Westbrook gliding in, shot blocked by Capella. Down floor come the Hawks. Trey Young hesitating, pass to Collins. He's open for three, and he buries it for the lead. Hawks take the lead on a John Collins three with 24.4 to play. The call on ESPN Radio. Wizards blew a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter. Loss to the Hawks, 120-116. Russell Westbrook, 34 points, 15 assists for Washington. Their magic number to clinch at least the uh, 10 spot in the play-in tournament still at 1. Trey Young had 33 points for the Hawks, who did clinch a playoff spot with the win. uh, Their first playoff berth since 20. 17. And that is your rock around the region. All right. So here we go. Back to the NFL. And I know people love to play this game. I think that's what makes the release of the NFL schedule so big. Everybody loves to play the win loss game, right? They get their favorite team, they look at the schedule, and they go top to bottom, start to finish. And they try to predict somehow, some way, their team's win-loss record in early May. It's a it's a pointless endeavor. I don't know why people do it, but for the sake of discussion, we're going to do it too. And we'll look at the Steelers. We'll look at the Ravens. We'll look at the Washington Fighting Riveras. And their schedules, and we're not going to go through like every game. Well, actually, we will, just not in depth, in detail. If you play the win-loss game last night, give us a call, 301-759-2628. Let us know how you think uh, your team will fare this year, how you have the schedule working out. It's it's impossible to figure out. Every, every team is different from year to year. Players come, players go, coaches change. Coordinators change. It's it's on every every team's there. Nothing, nothing's the same. I mean, you can look at it this way. Based on last year's, and again, this is last year's you know win loss records. The Steelers have the toughest schedule in the league this year. Okay, so strength of schedule again based on last season. So you take it for what it's worth. Based on last season's win-loss records, uh, the Steelers are playing teams at an overall winning percentage of 574. Okay, 155 wins, 115 losses, two ties. The Ravens have the second toughest schedule in the league in 2021 based on last year's records. Their teams had an overall winning percentage of 563. The Bears are third, Packers fourth, Vikings fifth. 
Washington right there in the middle of the pack. They are tied for 15th, the 15th toughest schedule in 2021. Their opponents barely above 500 based on last year. 136, 134, and 2. Down near the bottom, the Eagles have the easiest schedule in 2021. As a matter of fact, two NFC East teams have the two easiest schedules based on last year. The Eagles, their combined winning percentages from the opponents, 430. The Cowboys right above that at 452. So you Washington fans, again, you take it for what it's worth. Cowboys and Eagles, the easiest schedules this year. Now, looking at what are we going to we'll start we'll start with the Steelers. Look at the Steelers. Since they have, again, supposedly, allegedly, the toughest schedule in the league this year. And and, and I'm already on record as uh, saying that I believe the Steelers won't be very good this year. All right. And again, that's based on nothing but my opinion. It's May. They haven't, you know, they haven't even started training camp yet. Who knows? Because a lot of things, as we know, you follow sports enough, you know. A lot of things are going to happen between now and the season opener on that Thursday, September 9th. A lot of things are going to happen. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have some, maybe some holdouts. Like, for instance, like Green Bay. It's impossible. Although I know several people did it last night. They went and they played the old win-loss game with the Packers. They don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. You have no idea. And you don't know where he's going to be. Like the rumors are starting to float around that Rodgers, if he ends up leaving Green Bay, is going to end up in Denver. So if you played the win loss game with the Broncos schedule last night, it'll be completely different if they land Aaron Rodgers, would it not? But I guess it's a fun thing to do, so we're going to do it here. And we'll we'll blow through these schedules and see how uh we pan. And, and believe it or not. This is the first time I'm seeing these schedules. So we're going to kind of do this on the fly. And anytime you want to chime in, 301-759-2628, or hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush, or on Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Game number one for the Steelers. All right, Sunday, September 12th. Tough game out of the gate. One o'clock game at Buffalo, the defending NFC, they're not NFC. There's no realignment this year. AFC East champions. And again, I'm basing this on, I just don't think the Steelers are going to be very good this year. They're not going to be terrible, but they're not going to be great. They might be middle of the road. So they're going to lose that game. Out of the gate, they're 0-1. Then their home opener the following week, they host the Raiders 1 o'clock. I'll give them a win for that one. Week three, they host the Bengals because the game's at home. Going to have some fans back at Heinz Field. AFC Central rival, I'll give them a win. And here's what we, here's, here comes the, uh, the Aaron Rodgers effect. Week four, Steelers at the Packers. It's impossible to pick that game right now until we know about Aaron Rodgers. If I think Rodgers is going to be there, then Packers are going to win that game. If not, then the Steelers win. So I'm going to base this 
on the assumption, or the guess, I should say, that Rodgers is going to be there. So I got the Steelers losing that game at Green Bay. Week five, they host Denver. That's going to be a win. Unless, of course, Aaron Rodgers is there. <laughs> and then we got to switch it. But I'll give him a win. Week six, hosting Seattle. That's a primetime game. Hosting the Seahawks. I generally do not like to pick teams that have to travel across the country to play. Seattle's got to make the cross-country trek to the Steelers. It's a primetime game. Pittsburgh usually plays well at night. But I'm I'm going to Seahawks. I'm sorry, I have to. Steelers have a bye week, week seven. They come back and take on the Browns in Cleveland. That's a loss. Then they host the Bears. Another primetime game on ES. It's a Monday nighter. Bears, going to be one of those teams. Going to be hard to figure out. They get their quarterback situation in, in place. Solid defense. Here's another home game for the Steelers in a prime time that I'm going to pick against them. I got to loss. Then they host Detroit. That's a win. Then they're at the Chargers. Again, we got a team going cross country to play. That's a prime time game. That's a night game in LA. That's a loss for the Steelers. At the Bengals, that's going to be a loss. A home and road split. Then they host the Ravens. That's a loss. They're at the Vikings, eh, I'll give them a win. The last four games, and you know, look, if you follow the Steelers, you, you know, Mike Tomlin always talks about unleashing hell in December. Remember that clip a long time ago? We're going to unleash hell in December. Here are the Steelers' last four games of the season in December. You ready for this? They host the Titans. They're at the Chiefs. They host the Browns. Then they're at the Ravens. Four playoff teams from the AFC last year. That's the Steelers' final four games. If I'm bold enough, they might lose all four. Seriously, would that be unreasonable to think that they lose to the Titans, lose at the Chiefs? You know what I'll do? I'll give them one home win. I'll give them a home win against the Browns. And then I got them losing the other three. So, the win-loss total on May 13th for the Steelers. Here we go here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. And remember, it's a 17-game season. So I have the Steelers, based on last night's schedule and nothing else, going 7-10 and 10 in 2021. I just don't think they'll be very good. I just don't. I don't think Roethlisberger's going to get any better. I don't know if the offense is going to get any better. I know they got Matt Canada, the new offensive coordinator. I get it. But that schedule is brutal when you look at it. You got one, Buffalo, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, eight to nine playoff teams on that schedule from last year. Good luck. Good luck with that. Now, I could be proven wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Won't be the last. But I got the Steelers at 7-10. Next up, who we got here? Here we go. Again, uh, if you think the Steelers will be better than 7-10, give me a call. 
759-2628. How about the Washington Fighting Riveras? Again, only three preseason games this year. They took one away. They added a regular season game, took away a preseason game. So Washington has the Bengals, Ravens, and Patriots in the preseason. For whatever, what it's, they open at home against the Chargers. Again, you got a team going across the country. Now, it is week one, so the Chargers will be fresh. Ah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one out of the gate. I'll take, I'll, take, I'll take Washington. I'll take the home team. Why not? Then they have their first NFC East matchup week two against the Giants. It is a home game on a, on a, uh, was that a Monday night. It's a, thir- it's a Thursday night. I like Washington again. I like Washington 2-0 out of the gate. Then they go at Buffalo. Loss. Then they're at Atlanta. That's a win. Atlanta's going to be terrible again this year. Then they host the Saints. All depends on the Saints quarterback situation, does it not? See, we're not going to know this until the season rolls around. I'll take, uh, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Washington. Now I know it sounds crazy, but here we go. I got Washington four and one out of the gate, four and one. I think they they were solid last year. Defense is going to get better. Quarterback situation gets figured out with Fitzpatrick. It could happen. Now, this is where it gets a little bit dicey because then they host the Chiefs. That's a loss. Then they're at Green Bay. Again, here comes the Rodgers effect. If Rodgers is there, Washington's not beating them. So that's going to be a loss. Then they go play at Denver. That's going to be a win. So heading into their bye week, I have Washington at 5-3. and three. Not too shabby, right? Winning record, not too bad. But then they come back and they host Tampa Bay. That's a loss. Little playoff rematch from last year. Then they're at the Panthers. Boy, a lot could change. A lot can change in mid-November. Will Sam Darnold still be the starting quarterback? Who knows? But I'll take Washington. Yeah, why not? They host Seattle on a Monday night. That's a loss. They go to the Raiders on a Sunday afternoon. I'll give them a win. Then, wow, look, you talk about the NFL. This is this is crazy. You talk about the NFL backloading a schedule. Because remember, they play the Giants second week of the season at home. They don't play another NFC East game until the final five weeks of the season. Can, can you believe that? Not a single NFC, their last five games of the season, Washington, all against NFC East teams. They host the Cowboys, then they're at the Eagles, then they're at the Cowboys, then they host the Eagles, then they're at the Giants. I don't get that at all. Why would they do that? You're trying to tell me there's no other way they could have done that? They had to, they backloaded the final five games for Washington all within the division? Now, look, it'll make for some good drama, right? It'll definitely, it'll more than likely decide the division. But I just don't like that at all. I really don't. So let's run down these games. The very first one, it's a Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, in Washington against the Cowboys. 
I'll, I'll take Washington. Actually, you know what? I'll make it a, a home road split. So I'll have them losing that Dallas. You know what? I'll do the same thing with the Eagles. Home road split, and then I'll have them sweeping the Giants. So, breaking it all down here. The old win-loss game here with the Washington schedule. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have Washington at ten and seven. An improvement from last year's seven and nine record. And ten and seven should get them in contention uh, for the NFC East title. Again, to defend their division crown. And look, I'll mark these down. I'll keep these papers, and we'll come back at the end of the season to to show exactly how wrong that I was. So I have the Steelers at seven and ten. I have the Washington Fighting Riveras at ten and seven, which I can't get over. That sounds weird. Ten and seven. When we come back after a news and weather break, we'll look at the Ravens' schedule. Again, the second toughest schedule in the league. So stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. We're playing the win-loss game with the Steelers, Ravens, and the uh, Washington Fighting Rivera schedules, which were released last night. And again, I understand fully that the win-loss game is just a fruitless, pointless endeavor because it's impossible to predict who's going to win and lose in May. But it's fun, so we do it anyway. In case you missed it, last segment, I got the Steelers, who I am not very high on this year, finishing 7-10. and 10. I have the Fighting Riveras at 10-7. and 7. And again, it's going to take a long time to get used to saying 10-7 and 7 because we have an extra regular season game this year. Finally, we'll look at the Ravens. And as we mentioned last segment, the Steelers, based on last year's winning percentages, The Steelers have the toughest schedule in the league this year. The Ravens have the second toughest schedule in the league. They will play nine games against seven different opponents uh, against teams that made the postseason last year. They got the Bears, the Browns twice, the Packers, the Colts, the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Steelers twice. Nine of their 17 games against playoff teams from last year. It's it's going to be a tough one if those teams are good again this year, which, again, I don't think the Steelers will be. Baltimore has five primetime games this season, three at home. Three of those primetime games will come in the first five weeks of the season. And that will start with the Monday Nighter week one at the Raiders. The place is going to be nuts. It's good. I don't know if it'll be full capacity, but there'll be fans there in the new Allegiant Stadium. But I don't think the Raiders are as good as the Ravens. So I, I, I like the Ravens to win week one. The second week of the season, another primetime game. So back-to-back primetimers to open the season for Baltimore. And this will be uh, their weekly beat, you know, or their yearly beat down by the Chiefs, right? They just they can't beat the Chiefs. They haven't proven it for the past several years, and until it happens, I won't believe it. 
So that's a Sunday night game in Baltimore. It helps to have the home game. But again, I don't think they can beat the Chiefs, so that's a loss. Then they're at the Lions week three. That's a win. We'll give them a win against Detroit. Then they're at Denver the following week. That's a win as well. Then that third primetime game in the first five weeks of the season, it's going to be a tough one. It's a Monday nighter at Indianapolis, at the Colts. Should be a good game. Should be a competitive game. I'm not sold on the Colts quarterback situation at all. So I like the Ravens to win that game. Then they host another playoff team, the Chargers. I like a win there. Then they host the Bengals. That's their first AFC Central game uh, coming in week seven. I like a win there. So the Ravens, out of the gate, heading into their bye week, week eight, six and one. Six and, I think they'll be one of the better teams in, in the conference this year. Why not? I don't see Baltimore losing very many games this year. Coming out of the bye week, they host the Vikings. I'll give them a win. Then, right on the tails, on the heels of that game, is a Thursday nighter at the Dolphins. I'll give them a loss there. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. But they have to lose somewhere. You know, they have to lose somewhere along the way. Then they're at the Bears. I'll give them a win. Then they host the Browns. And much like I did with Washington and the NFC East, the AFC Central is going to be pretty good. I keep I keep on calling this Central. Right? It's the North now. <laughs> Old habits die hard. It's no longer the AFC Central, right? It's the AFC North. But I gave Washington a lot of uh, like a home road uh, win lot, a split. I'll do the same here with the Browns. With the Ravens. I like the Ravens to beat the Browns at home and then lose in Cleveland. And they play the Browns twice in a three-week span. There's a tough stretch there in late November, early December for, for the Ravens. where They have the Browns, the Steelers, the Browns, and the Packers. That's a tough four-week four stretch. I'll have them beating the Steelers, losing to the Browns. Again, the Packers situation if Rodgers is there, it's in Green Bay. I'm sorry, it's in Baltimore. That's that's going to be a loss. They'll beat the Bengals. They'll beat the Rams. They'll beat the Steelers. So, the win-loss game for the Ravens. That's four losses. I Actually, I have them. So, what is that now with 17 games? 13 and 4? That sounds about right. I'll go with that. I don't know what the over-under is. I don't know what their win total is. I have to look that up. I'm still, I don't know if they'll lose at the Dolphins on that Thursday night, but they'll lose another game in there somewhere. Maybe the Steelers pull one out. Maybe. Those games are always close. Those games are always tough. At Cleveland's going to be hard. The Rams won't be a pushover. But I like them. I like. Oh, there you go. Thirteen and four. So there you have it. That, again, that's just quick. First time I saw those schedules was when I picked them up today. Certainly, don't want to overthink things a little bit. So we kind of did those on the fly. And again, I'll hold on to them. And when the season rolls around, we'll go back and look and see exactly how wrong I was. 
<laughs> so I have the Steelers at seven and ten, Washington at ten and seven, and the Ravens at thirteen and four. I think those are all safe bets. I could be off with the Steelers by a game or two, but maybe that's just me, like not wanting to get my hopes up for the Steelers. Predicting seven and ten. I just, I don't know. There's something that bothers me about them. I just don't think they'll be great this year. I think Washington will be better from last year. I think the Ravens will be right there in the thick of it again. So there you go. There is your completely pointless and useless win-loss game uh, for the NFL schedule on May 13th. Now, we go back here and we talk about that 17-game schedule. Remember, one preseason game removed. The Steelers will have four, by the way, because they're playing the Cowboys in the Hall of Fame game. So the Steelers and Cowboys, the only teams with four preseason games this year. Everybody else has three. They took out a preseason game. They added a regular season game. So for the first time ever, 17 regular season games and 18-week regular season. Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy, part of that Monday Night Crew, uh, they talk about the new elongated season. Yeah, you would just hope that you have a coach that really understands how to make sure he can manage us in order to get to that point, both from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, because that's a grind. Look, it's like playing a full college season, really an extended college season before you even get a break, and then you have some more games to go. You're going to have to make sure that you take care of yourself. The coaches are going to have to make sure they take care of you, they take care of themselves, so everybody can stay fresh, recharge late in the season, and then hopefully make a late push to get into the playoffs. The cold tubs are going to be full all year round, right? Like, that's that's a given. Everybody's going to be bumps and bruises. You know, I, I think that this season in particular, being that we've added a game, you're going to have the teams with the advantage be the teams that are more physical, right? The Baltimore Ravens of the world. You talk about the Washington football team and that defense. Those teams, the, the ones that impose their will on you, and, and force you to match their intensity, I think have an advantage. And the other teams that maybe have more finesse, you know, I think those are going to be teams that, that struggle more this year. But if, if I were betting, I'd take the teams that really have more physical offensive and defensive lines having an advantage. All right. So basically it's the same as every other year, right? Oh, the, the cold tubs are going to be full every week. Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, look, it's one extra week. And it's not like they added eight more games. Now, I understand each game takes a toll. Each game takes a massive toll on these NFL players. I'm not underselling that at all or trying to, you know, push it aside like it's nothing. We're talking about one extra game. You lose a worthless preseason game, and you're playing one extra rate. It's one extra week. Let's not act like this is going to be like, everything's going to have to, like, there's going to be universal changes. Like, this is going to change the approach at all. They didn't They didn't go to 20 games. They went to one, one extra game. And you take away the preseason game, then the, really, the season is no longer than it ever had been, except now one game counts and one doesn't. What are we talking about here? The more physical teams, the ones that play smash mouth, the more physical defenses, they're going to come out. In the, well, yeah, that's pretty much 
every year since the invention of football. <laughs> Why is the one extra game going to change that? I don't understand that. I don't know. I know it's an extra added game of bumps and bruises and an extra added game, a chance of getting injured. I, I get that. I understand that. But it's just one game. So let's, let's not act like, you know, they're playing a, an 82-game NBA season or anything like that. All right, one last break. Then we'll come back and wrap things up. We'll talk about the uh, potential, the possibility of a shot clock coming to a high school near you. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. And I wanted to talk about this before we get out of here. The National Federation of State High School Associations, or the NFHS, uh, has passed a rule that now allows all states to adopt a 35-second shot clock. Rule 214 states that each state association, for instance, the WVSSAC, may adopt a shot clock beginning with the 2022-23 season. That proposal was approved at the NFHS annual meeting last month. There was a proposal for a national rule mandating a shot clock in each state. That was not approved. So now they're pretty much leaving up to each state saying that if you want to, You can now have a shot clock in your high school beginning in 2022. There are currently, and I didn't know this number is this high, 42 states that do not use a shot clock in high school. West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Virginia, they do not use a shot clock. Maryland is just one of eight states that does use the shot clock. And WVSSAC Executive Director Bernie Dolan, uh, he told Channel 13 News in Huntington that he will ultimately have the final say on whether there will be a shot clock in West Virginia. But he said he won't make the decision alone. He said he's going to defer to the coaches because the coaches will obviously be dealing with a shot clock on a daily basis. Dolan said, quote, we'll gather our basketball committees together and talk about whether we'll adopt it or not, end quote. Dolan said uh, the SSAC will have a say in the matter, but the input from coaches and ADs will play a big role in the decision. Now, the shot clock in high school, it's one of those polarizing topics. A lot of people like it. A lot of people don't. People like it because, number one, it rewards great defense. Right? You're trying to get that shot clock violation. And it stops teams from stalling and taking the air out of the ball. Right? Take stall ball completely out of it if you're forced to shoot every 35 seconds. People don't like it. Because, one, it breaks away from high school tradition. And there's always 
worry about cost. You know, who's going to foot the bill for the installation of a shot clock? Depending on who you talk to, depending on where you're getting your quotes from, a new shot clock system could cost around 5000 bucks. school going to pay for that? Is the county going to pay for that? Is the state going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? And another issue is who are you going to get to run it? Some, some schools, especially a lot of the smaller schools, they, they have a hard enough time getting people to run the regular clock and keep the scorebook. And now you got to find somebody else to run a shot clock. I mean, that's it's not an easy task for some schools. You know, you got to learn how to do the shot clock. You got to, you know, stay on top of things. It's not easy. And the question I have, and the stories I was reading, I didn't quite get a clear answer. Let's just say Bernie Dolan and the SSAC say, all right, you got the green light, you got the thumbs up, West Virginia. We're going to do a shot clock starting in 2022. Does that mean every school has to do it? Because we have a situation now, since we're so close together, West Virginia and Maryland, you know, we, we crossed the river to play Maryland schools. They have a shot clock. But when they come to play us, we don't. So sometimes it's hard to keep track. Sometimes you go play a Maryland school when you're not used to pl- using a shot clock in West Virginia. You, it's always you got to think, hey, now we got a shot clock. So if the state allows it to happen, does that mean every school has to do it? Because, again, you're talking about, I don't know how many schools are in West Virginia. I, I can't, off the top of my head, don't know. But you're talking 5000 bucks a pop at every school, Class A through Quad A. It's a lot of money. And, again, you got to find folks to run it and learn how to use it. And then you have to adapt to it. So, again, as with anything else, there are pros and there are cons to getting a shot clock. I am on the fence. I've always been on the fence with a shot clock because of my personal coaching experience. You know, whenever I was the head coach at the varsity level, the teams that I had, a lot of times they were overmatched. You know, having to go down and play some of these private schools in Martinsburg and and that, you know, the Hagerstown area. Really, the only chance that we had to compete and stay in the game was to hold the ball. Not go four corners and hold it for six, seven minutes. But, you know, work it around, work the clock. Try to stay out of a run-and-gun situation. I mean, I installed the Princeton offense for a reason. Like That was really the only way that we could really compete. Play good defense and just milk the clock for as much as we possibly could and hope it results in a bucket. If some of the teams that I had were forced to shoot every 35 seconds, we would we would have had problems. And we had problems anyway. But when you're not a great shooting team and you're forced to shoot the ball every 35, when you're not allowed, you when you take away the ability to work the offense and work the ball around, that could be detrimental to a lot of teams. You look at a team like Pendleton County for instance, right? Just last week, they made a run all the way to the Class A state title game in West Virginia. Do you know how many three-pointers they shot? Now, obviously, it doesn't mean shot clock doesn't mean automatic shoot a three-pointer. But the name of their game, 
was solid defense, control the pace, slow it down. They shot a total of 17 three-pointers. The entire, in, in three games at the Class A state tournament, they shot a total of 17 threes. Tanner Townsend made four of them. Guess how many of the team made? Four. They were four for 17. Tanner Townsend made all four of them, which means the rest of the team for Pendleton County didn't hit a single three-pointer. And again, without a shot clock, they slowed it down. They worked for the best shot. They held opponents to 41 points on average. 41 points. They did not allow, even in the state title game, which they lost to man, they didn't give up more than 50 points any game this season. And a lot of that is because of the style of ball they played. If you had a shot clock this year, how much sure Pendleton County makes it to the state title game? Because that takes away their ability to, and again, that's a con for installing a shot clock. You you force teams to play a style that they may not be equipped to play. Again, you have to adapt and you adjust to anything, right? That's sports. It happens. So I'm always on the fence. I think the shot clock makes the game more exciting. It forces you to work the ball around quicker. It forces you to get into your offense quicker. It forces, you know, again, sometimes it could be a little You take the air out of the entire gymnasium when you sit there and you just hold the ball. I remember a game years ago. My father-in-law was coaching, and he held the ball for an entire quarter. The entire quarter. And that wasn't his style at all. But that's what the other team gave him, so he took it. He literally held the ball for an entire quarter because the other team simply would not come out and play defense. So he just stood there. That's not good basketball. That's not basketball that I like. But when you don't have a shot clock, that's what it's – and then people don't like that. So I'm always on the fence. You know, whenever we go play Maryland teams, I kind of like it because it just keeps the game moving. It keeps there to flow to the game. You got You still – 35 seconds is actually a long time. It's it's, it's more than – I know this is obvious. It's more than half a minute. So you can still work the clock and work a half minute off the clock if, if that's your style, but it still forces you to put a shot up at some point and not just work it and work it and work it and work. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. A lot of it's going to come down to the cost, the availability, and people to run it. You may find an instance where if, if cost isn't an issue, maybe you pay people to run the shot clock. Maybe you pay a student 10 bucks. I don't know if that's legal. But maybe you pay somebody 10 bucks to come in and what, you know, you know what I mean? Just to get people in there to do it. I don't know. But there, are, there are certain hurdles that have to be overcome. It's not just as simple as, all right, we're going to do a shot clock. Here we go. So, again, we'll have another full season without one because, again, it's not until 2022. So, I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion between now and then. We'll see. Either way, that doesn't bother me either way. All right, uh, show's over. We're done. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Back tomorrow for a funky Friday, 7 a.m. sharp. See you then. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Ah, I see you.